Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Everybody doing well today? Okay, hey, I bring you some good news, all right? I have some good news about the heat situation. Anybody want some good news about this oppressive heat? All right, I've got it for you. Get ready. Yesterday, August 5th, on an annual basis, is typically the hottest time of the year in Texas, okay? So we're past it, right? Yeah. And in case you don't think God has a sense of humor, um, you, you know, you, have, I don't, you may have noticed that I sweat a little bit up here. I tend to get hot. No, I've never noticed that, Brian. I've never, never seen you over there hitting the AC unit. Well, here's the deal. God has a sense of humor because yesterday, okay, um, a good friend of mine, Todd Hargrove, his daughter, Sydney, got married yesterday. And so uh, Todd asked me if I would do the wedding on August 5th, the hottest day of the year in Texas, outdoors, in a suit. You know the last time I've been in a suit? It's been a long, long time since I've been in a suit. Okay, like a complete, I had to go buy a new suit, a paper mache suit, okay, but, and a tie. But you know what, I'm here, I survived. My doctor, Chris Putney, was there just in case, so it's all good. So no matter how much I sweat right now this morning, it's nothing compared to yesterday. All right, real quick, before we get started here, I want to make a clarifying remark about something I said last Sunday. I was trying to make the point that even the best of experiences here on earth will not compare to the experiences of heaven. And I played off of this quote by C.S. Lewis where he said, whatever you would consider to be the greatest pleasures here on earth, and he used sex as an example, he said those, those will pale in comparison to the joys and delights of heaven. And somehow, I think in my attempts to keep it rated PG and not use the word S-E-X too often, I kind of muddied the waters. And a few people came away thinking, did Brian just say there's going to be sex in heaven? Well, that was not my intention. Okay, so let me go officially on record as saying, I do not personally believe there will be sex in heaven for many reasons that I do not care to elaborate upon right now. However, I do believe there will be other experiences up there that will far surpass that. So now that I've cleared that up, I'm happy to say we're launching into a new series today. It's called Hijacked. And this series is really about saying no to various emotions that compete for control of our lives. And the good thing is we all have this in common. None of us enjoy being told what to do. Like whether it's something inside of us, an emotion inside of us, or a person outside of us, none of us enjoy being told what to do. And we discover this at a very early age, don't we? In fact, those of you who are parents, you know this. You kind of had to discipline the no out of your kids. And, you know, I have a granddaughter, Marlo. She's almost three years old. She is sweet and she is helpful. And, and my wife, Wendy, a.k.a. Grams, is one of her favorite people in the whole world. But one day, Grams was trying to get Marlo to do something she did not want to do. And this precious little two-year-old looked at my wife and said, leave me alone, Grams. Leave me alone, Grams. See, kids don't like to be told what to do, even if it's for their own good. But you know what? 
That's not just a child thing, is it? It's an adult thing as well. I mean, really, the American dream is having uh, enough money and enough power to be able to say no to whoever or whatever we want to say no to. I mean, the dream is autonomy. And autonomy could be defined as follows. I like this definition I ran across. The ability, power, or freedom to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with enough money to pay for it, and enough money to keep me out of trouble once I get caught, okay? And that's kind of an alluring goal, isn't it? To be in a position where nobody tells me what to do. And even though we know we're probably not going to achieve that, it's a tempting goal because we think if I get in that position where I can call all my own shots, I will call all the right shots. And that's why we're so baffled by people who have extraordinary autonomy, meaning they've got the money, reputation, power, freedom, whatever. And, and then all of a sudden, they make some boneheaded decision that undermines their autonomy, causes them to lose their freedom. And we think, why would you do that? You had it made. Like, why would you give up what most people can't achieve? And we also think, not me. Like, that wouldn't happen to me. I mean, if I had that kind of money and autonomy and freedom, I would be so careful. I wouldn't have blown it like they just did. I wouldn't have blown it. Well, maybe that's true. But for that to be true, there's something you have to do. You have to silence the toxic voices inside of you. Let me say that again. You have to silence these toxic voices inside of you. Now, where do these voices come from? We're going to talk a little bit about this throughout this series. They can come from all kinds of places. They can come from our flesh, our sin nature, our upbringing, our personalities, our experiences, the world. People, they can even come from the devil himself. But regardless of where they're coming from, we have to learn to silence these toxic voices inside of us. Why? Because they hijack control of our lives. And we often don't take the advice of others when it comes to making decisions. Instead, what we do is we take our own advice. And I'm telling you, our own advice is always filtered through certain emotions that distort our sense of reality. And this is why people look at you and say, you did what? And even you look at you later and go, I I did what? Like, what was I thinking? How did I do that? Well, you took your own advice and your own advice is always filtered through certain emotions that distort your sense of reality. So right now, and we may be thinking about this throughout the whole series, I want you to think about something for a moment. What is the primary emotion that hijacks control of your life? You know, all of us have one. Maybe it's anger, envy, fear, guilt, lust. What is it? All of us have one of these. I'll tell you mine maybe next week or maybe the week after that, just whenever I feel like it. But but we all have at least one primary emotion that surfaces pretty quickly. And it competes for control of what we say, how we say it, how loudly we say it, who we say it to. And it competes for control in terms of what you do with your behavior. What drives your behavior? Now, here's the thing. As adults, we've all learned to monitor our behavior. We're pretty good at this. Like we learn to monitor our behavior so that we can get job interviews or so that we can get jobs or so we can actually keep jobs, right? We learn to monitor our behavior so we can get dates or second dates or third dates or actually get married or stay married or so we can get our parents to do what we want our parents to do. We've all learned to monitor our behavior. But Jesus invites us to move past simply monitoring our behavior and to begin to monitor what's going on inside of us in our hearts. 
that's a whole other story. And what Jesus has to say today in our passage, it is so profound that it has deeply shaped the way I do life and relationships and ministry. It's life-changing. But to take Jesus' advice here, we all have some hard work that we're going to have to do. Okay, It's not easy. And I know I haven't arrived yet. I'm a work in progress, always having to keep my guard up, always having to pay attention to these toxic voices inside of me so they don't gain control of my life. So let's take a look at Jesus' advice. Here's the setting. Jesus is with his disciples. These are his closest followers. And the Bible begins and says this. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, just so you know, these guys were trying to track and trap and trick Jesus, okay? They have the trap set up. They think it's going to work, all right, because they don't like Jesus. And they want to undermine and diminish his growing popularity with the people. And so they ask him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, in a modern context, we might think, well, that, that's kind of gross. Like, why, why don't they do that? But you got to remember, there wasn't a lot of water back then. Water was scarce. So they didn't just pour water all over everything. Now, this is a big deal, and I'll explain why for where we're going today. Just so you know some history here, the tradition of the elders, also known as the oral Torah, was this mysterious teaching that Moses supposedly gave the people when he came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and all the other written commandments. So supposedly there was this oral Torah or law, okay, that later became known as the tradition of the elders. And these were laws of God, but it was forbidden to write them down. So only a handful of people knew exactly what they were, and they could pull them out and apply them whenever it was convenient. And they sort of believed that it served as a commentary on the written Torah, but at times it conflicted with that. At times it contradicted that. Well, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus was not buying it. He did not believe that there was this secondary, mysterious, only a handful of religious leaders know exactly what's in it, Torah. No, he went for the written Torah. He went for the word of God, and he stuck with that. Now, one of the rules of this oral Torah, this tradition of the elders, was that in order to stay ceremonially clean as a first century Jew, you had to go through a ritual hand washing each time before you ate. And that way, you didn't accidentally violate one of God's written dietary laws. But the problem with all these non-written laws is that they made God small and petty. And Jesus wasn't having it. And so he said to them, oh, really? Okay, and why do you break the command of God? Okay, the actual written word of God. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, you guys use these traditions to manipulate the people. Whenever they're doing something you don't want them to do, you say, well, well, well you know, over in the tradition of the elders and the non-written laws, there is this law. And Jesus is going to call out their hypocrisy. He's actually going to use an amazing illustration based on one of their oral traditions that had to do with caring for aging parents. And we're not going to get into the specifics here, but Jesus simply shows that the oral law that they had and the written word of God do not match. And he says this, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, instead of doing what's clear, you guys have made up some rules that nobody knows about but you, so you don't have to do the clear thing. 
And Jesus says, you hypocrites. Well, that's harsh. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They kind of turn religion into a game that they could always win. And I don't have to tell you this, but I will. Religious leaders and religious systems have a tendency to do just that. Sometimes they create their own rules, and it just so happens they're always able to win the game because they're the ones making up the rules. Well, as Jesus is teaching, okay, he's teaching there, and a crowd has gathered because they love that Jesus is standing up for them. Jesus is sticking it to the man, and he's about to drop a bomb on these religious leaders. It's awesome. Jesus says to the Pharisees, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth, okay, by accident is the inference because they didn't wash properly. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. In other words, that doesn't put you at odds with God. God is not small and petty. He's not a gotcha kind of God. He's not gonna put you in timeout for some minor accidental breach of etiquette. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And then in essence, Jesus drops the mic, turns, and walks away. Game over. And I'm sure the disciples, they're following Jesus, looking back at the Pharisees, going, booyah, take that, buddy. But, But as usual, they don't have a clue as to what Jesus was talking about. They just know that he won. That's it. We're going to find this out later on. It says, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know? <laughs> By the way, never say to Jesus, do you know? Okay, I'm Jesus. Yes, I know. Well, they're still figuring that out. Okay, but anyhow, I love that. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? <laughs> Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Leave him, Jesus says. Once upon a time, it was okay to follow them, but now they have so abandoned God's, and God, God's laws and God himself and God's intent, they've turned religion into a business. They are blind guides. Now, when Jesus said what he said about the dietary law, you know, what matters is what comes out of your mouth, not what goes into it, it may sound like Jesus is dismissing the Mosaic law as it relates to dietary laws, but he really wasn't. So they're going to need some reassuring here because Jesus had already been accused of violating the law. But Jesus did not violate the law. Jesus kept the law perfectly. And so Peter, he speaks up for the group, and this is where we see they really didn't know what he was talking about. He says, explain the parable to us. And it sounds like Jesus is about to be stern and abrasive here, and maybe he was, but I don't think so. I picture Jesus kind of ruffling Peter's hair and saying, are you still so dull? Like, come on, guys, step it up, pay attention. You you still don't get this? And then he stops, and he's going to explain it to him. And we're about to get a glimpse into what is most valuable to Jesus and his heavenly Father and what should be most important to you and to me. And I'll give you a little spoiler alert. God is not mostly concerned with how your behavior affects him. Jesus is going to say, no, 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 this stuff was given to you and for you and with your best interest in mind. God is not up in heaven trying to keep himself happy by controlling and manipulating your behavior. But what Jesus says next 
It's pretty awesome. In fact, this is Jesus' humor here. But we miss it because we forget these are real guys in a real relationship. You see, Jesus stops, and, and I bet he smiles as he says this. <laughs> like, guys, are you still so dull? Like, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? To which they thought, okay, we're, we're not that dull, all right? Yeah, we, we, we got that. And, and I bet Jesus got a big grin on his face. He's like, let's go through this really slowly, guys, in case you haven't been paying attention to your own bodies. Okay, you take food into your mouth, then it goes in the stomach, and then, and then it, and it goes right through. <laughs> and they're laughing like, okay, okay, yeah, yes, we see that. Usually a couple times a day, depending on our fiber intake, okay? We see that. We got that. We're with you. But here's Jesus' point. This is the point. If something off limits by chance goes into your mouth, enters your body, what happens to it? Just goes right through. No harm done to anybody. But then, then he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, ooh, that's a whole other story. Your heavenly father is not mostly concerned with what goes in here, but what comes out of here. In fact, the things that come out of here, he says, these defile them. Ooh, big term there. That term defile, that carried religious implications. To be defiled meant that you were at odds with God. So Jesus is saying, you want to know what puts you at odds with God? Not accidentally eating the wrong thing, not accidentally violating a tradition, not accidentally doing anything. What puts you at odds with God is what when comes out of your mouth hurts or puts you at odds with the people God loves. I'm going to say that again. What puts you at odds with God is when what comes out of your mouth hurts or puts you at odds with the people God loves. I mean, that's the theme of Jesus' teaching. God loves the person behind you, beside you, in front of you, at work, in your car, in the neighborhood. God loves those people. And anytime you do something that hurts somebody that God loves, he is concerned about that. That is what defiles you. But you know what? That's not even Jesus' main point here. His main point is actually tucked away in the middle part of this verse. I jumped over it before, but here it is. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. The source of your defiling, offensive, problematic words and deeds is inside of you. Now, when you hear that, I don't know how you respond. You may say, well, duh, like you're not telling me anything I don't already know. Or maybe you push back a little bit. You say, no, 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 come on, Brian. I mean, not everything I say comes from my heart. I mean, sometimes I say things that I don't mean to say. And I think Jesus would push back and say, what you should say is, sometimes you say things you don't mean to say out loud, right? But you meant to say them because they came out of you. And in that moment when your behavior modification skills were weakened by that emotion or that situation or whatever it may have been, your heart was showing. It came out of you because it was in you. Here's what Jesus said. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Whew. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. He's talking about human experience, that there is something in us. And if we're honest, we're aware it's there. And if we're honest, we're aware when it starts to surface. It's like, oh no, oh no. And then it comes out and it's like we're a third party watching ourselves undermine our marriage or a relationship with one of our kids or something at work 
And we think, how did I say that? Why did I say that? That's what Jesus is talking about. And notice he says, evil thoughts. Jesus is so smart. He's pointing out what some of us are still figuring out. That these problematic behaviors, they all begin up here with a thought. Everything begins with a thought. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You know, when Mark records this situation, he actually adds a few things that Jesus said. Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, arrogance, and folly. Now, I love that word folly. We don't use that word folly much anymore, do we? But what is folly? Folly is just bad judgment. It's bad judgment. And your biggest regrets relationally were the result of bad judgment, unwise decisions. And you look back and say, how could I have been so foolish? Like, why did I think or say such a thing? It's folly. Those embarrassing, relationship-killing, career-ending, financially debilitating behaviors. Jesus says their source is in your heart. These are what defile a person. These are the things that put you at odds with God because they put you at odds with the people God loves. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Now, a little aside here, and don't hear me wrong, religious rituals or religious traditions can be good, they can be meaningful, they can be significant, and I am not dogging them. But don't think that they're the means by which you keep God happy and satisfied. I think this is where a lot of people in the church and, and in other religions, they get it wrong. They say, you know, I love to pray on my knees. I love to pray on my knees. I, I learned it from my dad. And there's just something about that posture that, that puts you in the right mindset, puts your heart and mind in the right place. So I love, love, love to pray on my knees. Okay, great. And then pray on your knees. That's great. But don't think that God is up in heaven saying, hey, angels, you know, we're going to answer this guy's prayer over here. Because all these other people, they're like driving and praying to me. But this dude, he got up early and he's on his knees. Right, look at this, okay? We're just going to do whatever he says because of the posture he's in right now. That's not the way it works. You know, my tradition of praying on my knees doesn't win me points with God. It may be meaningful. And if it is to you, if it helps you to connect with God, that's fantastic. That is awesome. But don't think that it's some magic formula that everybody ought to do because it wins brownie points with God. See the difference? I know it's a fine line there, but, but like missing communion, missing church, missing your quiet times, those are not the things that defile a person. It's how you treat the people God loves. It's what comes out of you because it was in here already. So here's what we're gonna do over the next few weeks. And this is gonna be a lot of fun, okay, for me anyway, all right? We're gonna practice monitoring. And again, I would say we're all good at monitoring our behavior, our external stuff that we do. We're all good at monitoring behavior. In fact, some of you, you have sat quietly and still throughout this whole message, but at times your mind was somewhere else entirely. Like you weren't even listening to me, but you're nodding and you're being so polite. And, and I appreciate that, okay? Like we're good at monitoring our behavior. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna take this to another level. We're gonna start monitoring certain emotions, certain things going on inside of us. We're actually gonna personify these things. 
Like we're going to personify these emotions, these toxic voices inside of us and get in the habit of saying, you know what? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. We're going to cover some biggies. Anger, you're not the boss of me. Envy, you're not the boss of me. Fear, you're not the boss of me. Guilt, you're not the boss of me. Imagine how different your life would be if when you were younger, you had learned to monitor your heart and not allow these raging emotions of anger, envy, fear, guilt to be the boss of you. Or for some of you, imagine how different your upbringing would have been if your dad had not allowed his anger to be the boss of him or your mom had not allowed her fear to be the boss of her. And here's why this is so important. There's a dynamic happening right now, whether you recognize it or not. And it's this, the people closest to you, they are experiencing the overflow of your heart day after day after day. So we need to look in the mirror and begin to monitor what's going on inside and not just our external behavior. And that's true for all of us. But if you're a Christian, it's even more vital, more important, because you have a different boss, a better boss of you. A better boss in anger, envy, fear, guilt. And here's what this boss says to you. You ready for this? I love it. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Does that describe you this morning? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all you who are worn out and tired of serving these inferior bosses, being bossed around by these other inferior bosses of anger, envy, fear, guilt. And maybe you're successful. You look good on the outside, but you're tired on the inside, and there's a raging insecurity or fear or or anger. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This means take my way of life upon you. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like that religious leader you felt manipulated by. I'm not that kind of God. I'm not a gotcha kind of God. I'm not like that guy who did that cruddy thing and you had to leave the church. That's not me. I'm not that person. I'm not that religious system. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who doesn't want that? That's worth pursuing. That is worth considering. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you were so, at times, brutally honest. Thank you for clarifying that it's not about all this external trappings. It's about the condition of our hearts. And there's a battle going on. We wage this battle. It's a battle that goes on inside of us with our flesh, with the world. And there is a spiritual battle that's very real. And the enemy gets in and, and his voice tries to boss us around and tell us what to do. And in this series, we're gonna learn to stand against that. To monitor what's going on in our heart and say no to that, to resist that and to find victory because I see it over and over again. We see it in your word with the religious leaders, even with the Christians in the epistles and they're struggling and, and we struggle today. It's because we haven't learned how to fight this battle. 
So God, we just ask that by your Holy Spirit, because apart from him, we can't do this. You would give us wisdom to identify these toxic voices inside of us and and the source and, and to root them out and to follow hard after you, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. So God, we love you and thank you for what you're gonna do over the next month as we dive into your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you're here this morning, maybe you've got questions about what does it mean to have a relationship with God? Or maybe you've got a prayer concern you'd like to share. We have individuals up front. They'd be happy to pray for you. Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful week.